From those in the know to those who need to know, this is the Indie Weekly Podcast. Hey, how's it going? Back for another week of the Indie Weekly Podcast, sharing the best of Indie Week's events from recent years. Coming up is a excellent session we had at Screen by Screen uh, just this past uh, February, uh, early February of 2023. This one was called Spotting Talent in the Digital Age, A&R and Web3 in the Music Industry. It had a hell of a panel. It was all about how labels are finding artists, developing artists in this unique uh, era that we're in. It was a deeply fascinating conversation and one that uh, we're looking forward to bringing you here on the podcast. But as always, before we get to this week's conversation, we must first acknowledge that the land on which Indie Week is based is the traditional territory of the Haudenosaunee, Wendat, Ashinabe, Métis, and Mississaugas of the Credit First Nation. Of course, we must also thank our sponsors and funders. Those are Slate Music, CD Baby, Actor Racks, CMRRA, Lyric Find, Banzoogle, SEMA, City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SOCAN Foundation. We must also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without the support of all of them, we couldn't do the work we do for the music community. So a big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right, now to this week's conversation. Uh, I'm I'm taking off my Indie Week hat and I'm putting my downtown music hat on uh, for this session. Uh, and we're talking about uh, spotting talent in the digital age, A&R in the Web3 th- web music industry. Things have changed. Uh, as we were talking to Rain Maida earlier today, uh, a lot of stuff is pushed to us, suggested to us, and, and discovery is a whole different sense of right now so really excited for this conversation and uh to get things started let's go around the room and uh we'll hear uh background from all of our speakers and uh we're going to start with caitlin first so caitlin if you can introduce yourself and uh give a little bit of a background hi my name is caitlin i work for six shooter records and high priestess publishing and um i do creative licensing and a and r and I've done just about every job there is in music. I've been at it for almost 20, 20, 20, 20 years, almost 20 years, 19, anyways. Um, but I spent a lot of time doing creative licensing and um, artist development in Los Angeles with a publisher called Third Side Music. And so I had a lot of, uh, a lot of cool experiences there and um, have worked in production, like video, directing videos and producing and um, yeah, pretty much every job. But now my, my focus again is on licensing and developing the roster for High Priestess Publishing. So awesome. nice, to be, nice to be here and thanks for having me. Yeah, so working with uh, Kim, which is great. Yes. Uh, yeah, I always see her the at the conferences, yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's awesome. Kim Temple is like legendary, so. Awesome, awesome. Uh, Next up, we'll go to Andy Hawk. Thanks, Daryl, and thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I'm Andy Hawk. I work with Anthem Entertainment. I'm in their uh, label division, Anthem Records. I've been with the company for about six, seven years now, um, but been in the industry for about 17 overall. And uh, through that time, you know, I've done worn many different hats, like different, uh, like from manager to to marketing, um, into distribution and label. 
Um, and, and really in my role now, like I, I work with a lot of active artists, but I also deal with a lot of archive um, artists, like some legacy artists that are no longer active, but we still have a massive archive that we that we work with and, and put out still very much a lot of physical product and a lot of vinyl and uh, things like that that are still sell very well for for some some certain artists. Um, but yeah, working with a lot of different teams and just working with artists in a lot of different creative ways, as well as a lot of administration side of stuff, but uh, dealing dealing very closely with the artists and their teams and, and working on all the different releases that we have coming, whether it's digital, physical, and and always looking for more things to add. And, you know, our company is, is all, not just a label, but also a big publishing company, but I, I primarily work on the, the label side. Awesome. Thank you uh, for being here, Andy. And wow, 17 years already. Uh, yeah, it goes by quick. Known you for most of those. That, that's <laughs> crazy how fast time goes. Uh, Absolutely. Awesome. And uh, I was just saying, Andy, I saw all his Grammy picks and, and videos, which was uh, pretty exciting to see. So uh, thank you for being here, Andy. And uh, next up is Dhruv from Snakes and Ladders. Hey, uh, I'm Dhruv. Thanks for having me, Daryl. Uh, we are a South Asian record label based in Vancouver, and I had the ANR and Sync for the label right now. Uh, our prime focus is on South Asian talent globally, wherein we're representing talent right from electronic to pop, along with a bunch of weird acts as well, which Daryl knows what I'm talking about. And yeah, just excited to be here and contribute to the panel. Awesome, awesome, and and for full transparency, Drew is one of our clients at Snakes and Ladders, and. Uh, um, Dhruv, you're in India right now, I believe. Yeah, I've been in India since November, just finding talent for our sync roster. Right. And uh, thank you for, uh, it's probably really late or really early. Uh, it's, at your time. it's just about <laughs> 2 a.m. at this point. Awesome. Well, thank you for uh, staying up or getting up early for us. Uh, all right. So let's frame this conversation Uh we are talking about A&R in Web3, but I'll be honest, you know, uh, in talking to some of my students at Harris, I teach there once a week and stuff. In some cases, a lot of the people don't know what A&R actually is. So let's let's sort of define what A&R is. And uh, Caitlin, I'll, I'll sort of give you the torch first. Sure. I mean, traditionally, A&R is... Um, stands for artist and repertoire, I think. I mean, <laughs> it's like, um, but traditionally it's been about working with an artist, developing them into, you know, uh, depending on the label and how involved the label is, it, they might have a vision for what that artist should sound like or how they should look. Um, and so, you know, um, yeah, what 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 I do or what we do um, at the label and the publishing company is really try and work with artists and develop their sound and 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 kind of guide them through um, processes from like songwriting or um, collaborations or you really just trying to you know find the right engineer to get the right sound that they're looking for. Um, it's kind of like being a translator a little bit is how I describe it. Is like understanding um, an artist and their vision, feeling, feeling connection to that artist, and then really working to support them in their goals and what they're, what they're trying to achieve. That's my, my personal <laughs> view on A&R and how I like to approach working with artists. 
Perfect. Uh, Andy, have anything to add to that? Yeah, definitely. I agree with everything Caitlin said for sure. And like, I also think of it as um, in a company, like in a, any music company, there's so many different people that play different roles and so many moving parts. And I think I think of A&R as, as sort of the, the, in a way, like the guiding light through the company and how all the different people and, and players that are involved in a company are going to interact with the artist and how they're going to utilize all the different tools that a company has available on the project. I think A&R, the A&R rep is usually the one that'll help tie all those pieces together, or at the very least, like kind of keep everyone going towards the singular vision that the A&R person has worked with the artist to sort of develop, knowing that this is the direction that the artist wants to go. This also meets all the checks and balances that the company's looking to go. And then the A&R kind of makes sure that everything keeps moving in that direction. And I think that a lot of people um, still think of A&R in the traditional sense of like, you know, they're just out scouting talent every night, going to shows and looking to sign everyone every day. And sure, in some companies that that is a, a big prim uh, primary focus for an A&R. But I think in today's day and age, more so, it's more about taking full service care of the artists that are already part of your family. Um, and then always looking to add new talent as well. But the A&R is, is really making sure that everything that needs to happen for your artist is happening and when it should be happening and making sure that everything is moving forward in the right way, creatively, administratively, and everything across the board. Awesome. I appreciate that. Uh, Drew, I'll let you chime in as well. I mean, I think all the points were pretty much covered, but for me, it's essentially providing the resources to convert the artist's dreams into reality. Uh, the way I look at it is artists these days have a certain dream and we, at the end of the day, from an ANR perspective, have the resources behind us with the label to convert those dreams into like what their vision is completely. So there's a huge amount of trust involved in yeah. this uh, relationship. Um, and there's been lots of stories from the old days uh, in A&R. Uh, and in fact, a year ago, we or last year, we had Michael Anthony Lago, who's famed for signing Metallica and uh, Rob Zombie and, and such. So uh, they were kind of also sometimes thought of it to me as like the rock star of the record label. Like I spotted, I signed this and, and they get prestige on that. But also on the line, I signed this and it didn't, it went nowhere. So, so there's a lot on the line and a lot of pressure. And I think that that's not... Uh, given its full credit uh, because they are integral in the development of an artist and uh, um, kind of sounds like the uh, interpreter of what label business speak would be to down to creative and, and they're kind of the in-between and uh, helping translate on both sides. Uh, so that's what A&R is. And, um, uh, Andy, you said that it's like a lot of people think it's out scouting in clubs and and uh, traditionally uh, it's come up in a couple of talks uh, is South by's coming up, for instance, and a lot of these showcase conferences and festivals. That's what was happening is like, oh, I get to showcase here, hoping A&R will be out. Um, is that the case anymore? So, uh, Caitlin, uh, I'm going to. I'm going to keep going in this order. And so, Caitlin, you're always in the hot seat first. Sorry. All right. Well, I'm used to it. My boss likes to likes to do this on our staff Zooms where we get you know, put on the spot. Um, I'd say that we do discover some new artists that way. Um, 
we have a pretty big team or like big for us, but we're like a, a an indie, but there's about 20 of us now. And so there's a lot of people traveling again. And that's been really nice because um, somebody will come back from a conference and say, oh, I saw this artist, you know, and they'll share a link. Um, it's pretty like we have a, a Slack channel that we just kind of shoot a bunch of ideas into, um, you know, and it really will, it really will depend on sort of like, are we looking to sign somebody for the label? Um, the live show is really important for us, you know, or are we looking for somebody for sync or for publishing? The live show isn't as important. It's still, you know, it's still a thing that we like to consider, but I definitely think that places like South by, we have a few people going and are doing a showcase. Like it's, it's there's, there's so much going on there and it's kind of like hard to navigate like the website and like, where do I go? Who do I, who do I see? So it really does boil down to word of mouth, like, you know, through the network, through the community, through artists we work with, like, oh, you should check out so-and-so or, you know, like a lot of us listen to different podcasts and are just in different places. So it's really about that communal sharing of knowledge, but yeah, live show, like, live festivals like South by are still places that you see artists who are unsigned. So yeah. Awesome. Hope that yeah. answers the question. <laughs> yeah. And I'll add a bit to that. Cause there's, there's a few things that we do too, but uh, Andy, I'll give you a chance to chime in. Yeah. The live show is, is always very important. I think that um, for an artist like playing like a South by Southwest or a big like live music conference that of that sort, I think that going into it thinking like, this is my chance. I'm going to get a deal coming out of this. That's probably not the right way to think about it. It's more so like, I'm going to go do my thing and whoever sees me maybe, or maybe not, it could lead to something. It's more so just about doing what you do and just doing it in front of a different audience that's what the, the i think those music conferences provide you to provide you with it's a different audience that might not have come to see you at your sh show that you're promoting as the headliner this is a music going audience that is filled with different people and a lot of the people that attend those conferences are other musicians um, so for the most part, you're playing in front of your peers um, and maybe there's some label people or publishers in the room or something like that, but most of the chances there's not. Um, so it's really going into those conferences. It's more so it's just about doing the best performance you can to make the noise of like becoming the, oh, did you miss the the hot show that this person did at that festival? And then that becomes the talk after the festival's over that starts interesting people of, oh, I didn't see this show and I heard it was great. Now I'm going to go check out this band. Even if I didn't go to the conference, I feel like that's more so where people hear about bands from these things is that a band went, made a bunch of noise, and then that drew the attention after the fact. Right. I actually almost think it's a, like marketing. You're getting more ears on your music, more eyeballs on your show, and word of mouth uh, generated. If you've done a great job, that's, that's exactly you, you yeah. got to show up and do, do the job. Uh, Drew. I mean, I also think that it it kind of helps us see how the artists are performing on stage because that's very rare right now with the era that we live in, with artists being signed on, you know, from either TikTok or YouTube or whatever social media platforms that are there. And I remember like even right now, every music festival that I go to, I think I've been signing about five to about seven artists on average at every festival that I've attended. And so, I mean, South by is just, part of that same puzzle wherein you know I'm attending all these festivals because I know that there is potential talent and I know the artists that are going on those stages have the same mindset behind it 
Right. And also, um, I'd say like the networking and the connections made, you just never know where, where that's going to lead. Um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, interesting. And I'm, Caitlin, I've sort of mentioned, like, uh, I've kind of come back to a point, like we've got a Slack channel and literally see somebody maybe throw it in and already somebody from across the planet might be like, Oh, I saw them two years ago, worked with this, did this, did it. The, the amount of information you can get very quickly if, through an internal network is, is actually quite amazing. Like after like one song, after I sent the message, I know half of everything about this artist. Uh, if it's already sort of in our network uh, knowledge base. So I wanted to talk a bit about, so we've had a, a session uh, two days ago with uh, chart metric and, uh, or is it yesterday? It's a blur yesterday uh, with chart metric and, you know, showing a dashboard with all these stats and data and all this kind of stuff. I, I want to sort of ask the room, how important is that in taking a consideration for an artist? I've had a case where pitching an artist to a label and the person literally just looked at the computer and said, ah, their Spotify listens aren't enough and not interested. And they hadn't even listened to the music had not even played a song. So uh, Caitlin, again, you're in the hot seat. Uh, let's talk data. Oh God, yeah, data. We do a monthly data day and we do look at chart metric and like our internal sort of um, data numbers. I'm not, I'm not as like much of a wizard as the other, uh, as, the, as the real data nerds in our company, but it depends. I mean, there are a couple of artists that we've just signed who don't have like huge streaming numbers and we know it's going to be a longer process in terms of like releasing the music and like our strategy behind releasing the music will be more drawn out. But um, a good example of, of somebody we um, work with, Boy Golden, who when we started working with him and the end of 20, beginning of 2020, um yeah what year is it yeah in 2020 um he was you know he's a, a winnipeg artist and was really um well known on the local scene there but not many like spotify listens or streams or followers um like i think less like maybe 500 or something or less and you know it's been a couple of years and we had a really uh, great summer of radio with one of his songs and it's, you know, we're up to like 32,000 followers on Spotify, which is still like not a lot considering some other artists with like 127. But ultimately like the way we approach music at the label and at the, at the publishing company as well is that music always should come first. It's really just about like our, our job as the label and the publisher is like, okay, well, how are we gonna market this? Like, how are we gonna grow the audience? What's the timeline? Um, you know, like we don't need, we don't need an artist to be successful already. Like we're, we're in a place where we can sign artists and develop them, um, you know, like maybe not from scratch entirely, but it, it really depends on sort of like what resources the artist already has and what they're capable of achieving on their own. And then like what we can, offer them and, and bring to that sort of process so but the music always comes first like 
data is important and it does inform decisions in some ways, but if the music's not, like if the music's amazing, it's like, well, we're gonna do everything we can to, to you know, make sure that people know about it and, and, you know, our passion usually translates to other people finding out about it, so. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I agree. And uh, kind of actually a, a point that uh, I want to make going back to conferences and stuff. Good music, the word gets around. And it's really funny when you are at these conferences and you're like, all the same people are in the room watching this band. And then you go race off to see another band. All the same people move to this other band. It's like we all kind of hear what's the hot thing yeah. uh, like for instance uh south by last year was wet leg everyone's like yeah you see wet leg are you gonna see wet leg <laughs> and, and, and we all magically end up at the same show <laughs> so yeah uh, kind of fun um andy yeah and like i think what you said earlier uh daryl about like anr being a translator of sorts between label speak and the creative side i feel like a lot of the tools like chart metric and some of the data that's the thing that i think on the side of translating things to the label side is what helps. So like as an A&R, I might find an artist, a writer, something like that, that I think is incredible that maybe doesn't have a social following, doesn't have any streaming numbers or anything, but I just, I see that there's something there. Um, and then getting some numbers and some data together, that's the thing that helps me convince the rest of my team that doesn't see the music side that I see. Um, cause you know, that's, that's why I have some of the roles that I have is cause I can see sort of what could be something out of currently nothing. Um, whereas a lot of people, they need to see hard proof, hard evidence. They don't, they're very risk adverse. And that's why they have their jobs of, of being the ones that are, you know, protecting the financial stability of a company. So it's different people doing different <clears throat> things, but the data is the thing that I feel helps sway certain people where, you know, me just being like, you gotta trust me. It's amazing. Might not be enough, you know? Yeah, I, I, I've been through that a few times uh, over the last couple of years. It, sorry, you just brought a couple pain points to mind. <laughs> uh, let's go work with this artist. And uh, yeah, not enough data. So that's when then not enough data. And then that artist ends up blowing up. And then you go back being like, I told you, see, like, yeah, one Juno Award last year on tour states right now. Yes, uh, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, Drew. No, I think it's the same thing as Andy said for us as well, uh, wherein I think the, the data is in a way, it does give us a little bit of context, but at the end of the day, we're still looking at music that the artist believes in and that we can back. And uh, the data kind of just helps us, you know, figure out the marketing side of things, wherein we, yeah. if, you know, whatever base market uh, data is there, we know, okay, there's a target audience here, we can, you know, push it there and then start growing out in other spaces. But for us, we've always been artist forward. And so it's about the music. It's, you know, if, if we find the music great, we'll, we'll support it. You know, I got to say, it's it's refreshing to hear this from everybody. Um, and, and one thing I'll play devil's advocate is it's not necessarily like this at all companies. Um, uh, like I said, I, I've done a couple of pitches where it's just look at the data and that's how the decision was made. Um, I even try to put together a meeting with a really big artist and they're like, oh, what have they done in 10 years? And it's like made money uh, and they're about to do more. So uh, it can be tough if you don't have the data. Now, um, 
Drew, you sort of touched on a point on using data to know how to market the artist. And let's talk a little bit more about that uh, because we do use data no matter what when we are working with the artist. Uh, so uh, Caitlin, uh, let's talk, talk about data and, and how you maybe uh, use that yeah. to leverage the artist. Yeah, that's definitely something that we look at in these um, data day meetings. Like we, we do a, we did a really like actually thinking of it, we work with another band called the Dead South who um, have like a huge fan base. They're like a string, string band and um, like do insane numbers with shows and merch and records. And they have this really like great supportive community. And um, you know, like all these impressive data points um, and like, there's not really like much love from um, the media. Like they don't really get a lot of like playlist support. Um, they, there's, but it's like, okay, well we have these internal numbers that we can use to formulate. Yeah, like, okay, well, what are we gonna do with the next album? Like, okay, well these, like, like to Drew's point, like taking, taking what's already working and adding to that, sort of like adding fuel to the fire you know, is, is like where we start first. Um, they have a really strong, you know, fan base in Australia. So like, let's go there. And, you know, like they're, they're touring there right now or just finished a tour there. And it was like sold out and before they even got there, you know, and it's like, there's, um, yeah, we, I guess we just, we try to consider different variables like, uh, geographic locations, age, age demographics. Um, uh, yeah, there, there's, there's so much, I feel like I'm going off track here, but we, uh, we'll pass it over to Andy. <laughs> but yes, data, data is good. Data helps. <laughs> data. Yeah, totally. And I think that with, with us, like specifically, I think the data helps us decide where we're going to spend our money, um, like in terms of different team members, different campaigns, like uh, third party vendors that we might hire to work on the project in different capacities, like looking at different data points and seeing different spikes in different ways will help inform the, the label team of like, okay, well, that's where we need to invest more. Um, but I think um, some of what, like that on like some of what Caitlin was saying is like, I really do agree that an artist doing everything that they can on their own before they start working with a company is very crucial because I've always thought, looked at it like a label is just an amplifier of what you're already doing. So if you're not really doing anything and a label is going to amplify that not much. So, you know, if you're already doing everything you possibly can as an independent artist making all the moves, then it's a lot it's a lot easier for a label to come in and, and amplify what you're doing and help you break through whatever glass ceilings that you might have had on your own. Um, and maybe it's just, you just need to have money backing. You need to have the support of connections. There's different reasons that you might be at that ceiling, but I feel like a lot of artists have this sort of idea that people at a label have this secret button, the make me famous button, and I'm just refusing to press it. And it's like, I wish I had that. It's like, there's 10,000 ways to reach the same destination that every single artist is chasing after. Um, and the data, I think, just helps us indicate which one of those paths you're already on and which one we can help accelerate you to get to that de destination quicker. 
Um, but without any data, we're just starting at, at square one and, and we might try something that's going to fail. Right. And uh, you're right about, uh, I feel a lot of, and I've seen this a lot where an artist gets signed and they actually stop working. They stop doing the things that they did because they're also like, oh, well, we're signed and, and now we're taken care of and we don't have to, that's not our job anymore. And, and it fails most of the time in that case. Uh, so uh, it's a team effort is really the case is you're adding another member to your team. You still do what you do, but now you've got somebody that can guide and has, they have a team that can kind of really amplify it as, as Andy said, so I'm stealing your words. Uh, Drew, I know Drew, you're the last one on the, the, the ones, but uh, I think you've always oh, got great insight. I think, I think for us, at least for me, what I've realized with data more than, you know, finding out where we need to target, it's where not to target initially. Because where we see, you know, there is, let's say we have, you know, only five, you know, listeners in a certain country, I'm not going to spend $100,000 to push it there when I know I can grow a base that we have, you know, either number one or number two. But another beautiful spot that we've started realizing where Chartmetric or even data start, is starting to help us quite a bit is within brand partnerships to kind of identify where, you know, our artists will fit in, which will help boost their track or boost their presence across different markets. Because we know that their consumer base is consuming the same product or consuming that said kind of content. And so we've started even designing our piece of content for certain artists around the data that we already have existed. So if you know uh, one of our artists, Modern Biology, does a lot of stuff with plants. And so a lot of the content that we've started doing now is you know pushing him into a forest and recording his stuff out there instead of trying to do it inside the city because the stuff inside the city, inside his apartment doesn't do as much as when he's out in the forest. And that we start realizing that only after going through the entire chart metric data and like actually analyzing it with, you know, a bunch of people helping us on board. Uh, yeah. And it, just so if everybody doesn't know, uh, look up on TikTok, modern biology. It's, it was a crazy thing to watch. Uh, I, I saw the whole sort of progression and it's, it's, it's music from mushrooms set up to, MIDI synthesizers and it it's millions of, of views like millions and uh um we mushrooms are so hot right now mushrooms <laughs> just like every like like chaga and wellness the last of us you know it's all all mushrooms mario yeah that, well this is it's is an interesting and it's about two years ago when it was starting um, yeah. and uh i said you should make a christmas album and and he found a mushroom that is part of the story with Santa Claus and there's a Christmas album. And, and so, um, yeah. And I believe, did he do something with like, uh, the Redwood forest in LA? Yeah. Or something he like did, that. He, so yeah. he did a show out there. He recorded out there. Uh, he's done a bunch of stuff in Hawaii, a bunch of stuff with the old cedar growth in Vancouver. So, a lot of his content, what we realize is works well with, you know, him traveling to a certain spot, which has a certain historic plant associated with it and creating content around that. And it took us a minute, but I mean, we've, I think we've hit the nail on the spot right now. Yeah. And, and there, there may be some more stuff. Uh, I had some meetings in Brazil that we'll talk about. Uh, all right. Um, so this is like, okay, using the data side and, and to 
where to go, but also, as Drew said, where not to go. Um, how about uh, the other part that I try to look at is projections. Like if we do this, what's 12 months from now? Like kind of trying to use it to predict future. Um, and uh, Caitlin, I'll let you uh, start this. Sorry. This is like my worst, my worst uh, field of expertise is the data. But um, like further to what Drew was saying with um, finding what works and um, and kind of like leaning into that to borrow that term. Um, yeah, like I, I guess I just wanted to say like as an add on to that is like I hope artists always like find can like find their lane or find their niche like this modern biology saying i haven't i'm not familiar with it but i did grab my phone to grab got a TikTok open but um like yeah the the data if the data is telling you one thing like then go, go with that thing or you know like try to like try different things like you know maybe you're not comfortable on video so don't worry about YouTube shorts or TikToks, like focus more on like your SoundCloud community band camp, like just more of the audio. Um, and then in terms of the project projections, um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's definitely targets and goals that we have and, um, you know, sort of like a vision for what we want to do as an artist and we'll, we'll do everything that we can to to make that happen. But um, as we all know, within the last few years, it's been kind of a weird time. Like things are really unpredictable, like that the music industry is in disarray, but also like the housing market. And, you know, it's like, nobody knows whether to buy or sell, or, you know, should I, should I quit my job or not? Quit? It's like, everything just feels in a state of flux right now, which is kind of like the best time to experiment. So um, yeah, like, I'd say make your best laid plans and then do everything you possibly can to, to hit that goal. Like lean into your, you know, okay, we really have a strong TikTok following who want to see plant life. So yeah, go deeper into the forest. Um, but I don't know. It, it just all, it all seems kind of unpredictable right now. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a Sorry. weird time for sure. <laughs> uh, Andy, yeah, unpredictable is is the best word to use for it. And and like when doing projections, like you know, I'd like to be able to say every song I put out is going to be a, a million plus streams. And you know, when I'm doing a PNL sheet, like having to put like how many streams is this song going to get? I don't know. Like I'm just I can look at what it got previously, and I can you know make an assumption of what it's going to get based on what their monthly listeners are and things like that. But there's a hundred different variables that could come into play to make it much more and much less than that but that data really comes into play like for from a label perspective the most when we're talking about doing grant applications as a label and where that grant money is going to be allocated especially being like a Canadian based company who having access to you know the amazing grant system that we have here that's a that the projections are are huge for for driving those decisions and conversations internally um, but then also like from an artist perspective, it, th those projections matter a lot because it's, those are the things that are going to say whether or not we're picking up your next album or not, you know, and it's like, we're, we're so, we just put out the first one and we're already talking about, are we going to pick up the second one or not? And it's like, we haven't even given it time to grow and those conversations are already starting. So it's, those projections are, are very crucial and, and 
you know, using the data in your favor and leaning into what works and what doesn't is, is very crucial as well, but also using things like the platforms correctly, because I find that that's a lot of the education that we do with, with artists is you can't treat TikTok like it's YouTube. You can't use in Facebook, like it's Instagram. You just, you just can't like, and it's, there's algorithms that prove that when you serve up content one way to all the platforms, you're really shooting yourself in the foot in a big way. Um, so for a lot of artists that, you know, they, they feel a little bit like, you know, this is my image and this is the, you know, I'm very proud of the, the artist look that I have, and I'm just going to serve that up to TikTok. And well, why am I not getting any TikTok followers? Why are I not getting any views? Cause you're not using the platform correctly. Um, and, you know, I think that TikTok is, is one that in a way it is a little bit like the wild west because any random idea could spark and take off there at the moment, but there's a lot of opportunity in that as well. And I think, people looking to be told, well, what do I do to become famous on TikTok? You know, there's going to be a flood of people doing whatever that suggestion is. So you really have to be authentic and try things that are genuinely authentic to yourself that you feel proud about that still align with your music career. It might not have anything to do with the songs or music videos or things that you put out as an artist, but you're using the platform correctly to build yourself and build your own awareness. Um, and then that in turn causes the effect to help your music. So I don't know, I think that the mindset of looking at data points and doing leaning into what works is very important, but doing things that are authentic to you and sticking to your guns, because it might not work right now, but you stick with it. And then all of a sudden, everybody's copying your idea. Um, it just might not be something that's directly linked with your artist career right off the hop. And if you're you know, doing it, oh, go ahead. sorry, I was going to say, like, if you're doing it to be famous, it's really like, that's like a one in a billion, you know, it's like, do it because you love to do it. And because you don't know how to do anything else or don't want to do anything else. Those are the, those are the artists who, you know, are truly successful. It's like, you're, you're making your art for yourself. And yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know what, uh, that brings a, a quick story to mind, but I think that a lot is be authentic. And uh, by being authentic, you're kind of the leader not the follower and therefore unique. Like there's only one Bob Dylan, one Tom Waits, one Elvis, uh, one Madonna, one Elton John. Um, but I, I remember uh, one year uh, we had a sponsored stage and uh, I had to fight to have walk off the earth on it and, and at Indie Week. And I'm like, no, we need this band. Like they're going to take off. And literally like that was October and uh, literally January, they released a video on YouTube where all five of them were playing one guitar and they're on Ellen in like two days and, and management happens and signing is really crazy to watch how fast that went. But then everyone else was trying to play four or five people on a guitar and copy that. And, and there's only one. So, so being the originator, I think is, is something that's really important with, your socials and, and what you're going to do. But Andy had a great point. Uh, all channels are different and need to be treated differently. Um, and one thing I would say just to look up is evergreen content uh, for making content. So just Google evergreen content and that may help you out. Uh, Drew, I know you're always uh, the last one to, to get in um, on this, but uh, let you uh, chime in. I think it's, it's extremely hard in this market to predict where a track is going especially with the way social media has been working. I mean, across TikTok, like Andy was saying, you know, one day there's a track that's blowing up, the next day there's something else. 
And that's where the entire, you know, conversation of data comes in again, wherein, you know, you're using that as a benchmark to kind of figure out what the next level is. And as long as you can hit those levels and constantly be hitting those and stay consistent with that, I think you're going to, I mean, most artists are going to actually break that barrier. But it again comes down to what, you know, Caitlin was saying, wherein if you're doing this for fame, it's probably not going to work out because that's not the way this works. I mean, there's years of effort. There's, there is no secret sauce. I mean, if we had that secret sauce, we'd all be pouring that on every single artist we signed. I, I agree. And it's like, uh, sometimes I, I would go into things like have no expectations. And then if anything happens, it's a surprise and not a disappointment if it doesn't. Uh, so, because uh, I think that that's, where some mental health kind of issues come into play because it's like, oh, I'm going to do this and you work so hard and oh, I didn't. And then you go, should I do it again? Yeah, that's that's what we do in the music biz. We just keep going and, and try. Um, all right. Uh, there's a lot of questions pouring in. So I'm going to jump to questions a little yeah. early because I want to make sure we, we hit them. Um, so this one's from Justin. Uh, what is the most attractive asset an artist can bring to a table in terms of getting the attention of A&R. So, uh, Caitlin. Um, a positive attitude, I think. Um, just somebody who is open to learning. Um, like, I don't mind some ego. I think ego is good when you're, you know, an artist and you're, you're but like, you're usually stepping into a room with people who have more um, knowledge and experience in the business. So it's good to listen, but also like to just have, yeah, like have, <laughs> don't really have high expectations. Um, but yeah, po a positive attitude on somebody who has a clear vision of what they want to do um, and who's wants to work hard, who is working hard. Um, yeah, I'd say that's maybe the biggest one. Like it's, it's a lot of personality, I'd say. I mean, the music obviously has to be something that we connect with, but, um, just, yeah, just smile and be nice, I guess. It's like best, I love best that. Yeah, advice. Early <laughs> days. Dick. Yeah. Like when I was growing up, I remember all the rock stars had all this crazy attitude. Uh, Andy. Yeah, no, like Caitlin summed it up, everything I totally agree with. Um, but definitely great music is always, you know, great song, a great, and it doesn't need to be like fully produced and, and amazing. Like, you know, a good song can shine through whether it's got, you know, 10 musicians playing on it or you and a guitar, like a good song could, should be able to shine through. So at the end of the day, good music is always going to be the number one asset that an artist can have. But I definitely agree with the 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 attitude and like having confidence is important. And I think that, you know, knowing what you don't want to do is just as important as knowing where you want to be um, and going into a, a group of industry professionals and, and trying to join a team of people I think it's very important to to like Caitlin said like know what you who you are and what you want like try to avoid having an identity crisis where you're going into a room of people where they can't even figure out who you are and what your message is and what you have to say and what you're about and what you believe in and what your stance is on everything like you, sh you should just you should just be that person already. So it's not even a question of like, okay, well, who are you? What are we going to do with you? How are we going to market you? It's just clear as day already because you just are authentically yourself. 
Um, and I feel like a lot of trouble that artists face is when they come into working with team members and they're like, okay, well, tell me what to do. I'll do whatever it takes. I'll do whatever you want. Just tell me what to do. That's there's problems with that. Cause that's like, okay, well, that's a big red flag. Yeah. And, and uh, it, it, so uh, I grew up in Edmonton a long time ago and uh, a band that was really successful in on the indie circuit was called the smalls and uh, they were great, but they were country punk metal jazz progressive maybe and like nobody could actually describe what style they were and they never got signed um, and and went as far as they could uh, but without getting extra push they had, you know at one point quit and uh, Cor Blund is doing great as a country artist he picked a lane and he's doing great as a country artist he was the uh, bass player for the smalls um, but they were amazing. They sold like 50,000 units independently through cargo records and uh, could not get signed. And I think that that's part of it is, is also being marketable a little bit, like knowing, like that was a tough one, country punk rock metal. Well, and just thrash. about anything can be marketable <laughs> as long as you know that that's, that's my, like you can be a mishmash of genres and we can market that, but you got to know that's what you are, you know? Right. And they, 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 they were a little questionable on, on working uh, with industry at that time too. Uh, Drew. I mean, I think it's, it comes back to the original point where you would, I think you would mention it, Daryl, wherein it's, oh, I think it was Andy, wherein, you know, for us, apart from the good music, it's also willing to put in the work because just because you're signed to a label does not mean you got to like sit back and we're going to do things for you. We want someone who's going to go get it while we support you to go get it. Right, right. I love that. Um, yeah. I'm going to, so there's, I'm jumping around trying to kind of have cohesive questions and progression through it because uh, the next one is what's more important, a great catalog of releases or a great live performance? And uh, Caitlin? Uh, it depends on what we're talking about. Um, a great catalog for releases, I would want to snap up for licensing because you'd automatically have a bunch of stuff to work with off the bat but um a great live show i mean people still people still go to concerts and buy tickets and people love going to shows now after the pandemic so um from the label side i'd i'd say absolutely the live show so it really it depends on like what your you know, your, your outcome or your goal is like, who, like, what are you, what are you signing the artist to like a publishing deal or a licensing deal or label deal? Right. Right. Lots of options with that. Uh, Andy. Yeah. Caitlin nailed it. Like I, I pretty much can't really add too much to that, but other than like, it is possible that you've, you've never played a live show and you've got a very successful career just being a songwriter and, you know, make doing cuts for other artists and working in the publishing side and the sync side of world. It was many, many, many people that have never stepped foot on a stage that make tons of money and have a very happy life doing that. Um, but it really all depends on what type of, uh, what type of deal you're being signed to and, and what your end goal is. Like if you're, if you want to just be a songwriter, then there's totally a pathway for you to do that. When in that case, having a plethora of amazing compositions is very important. Um, but yeah, it definitely from a label perspective, 
being able to step on stage and just crush it and have like amazing dialed in show with like your players are all figured out. It's not a revolving door of musicians, a struggle. Who's going to play bass for me this time? Like you're freaking out every show. Like you got to have that stuff dialed in. Like that's just your business as being a musician. It shouldn't even be a question that your live show is amazing. That's just what you should. That's just the baseline you should be starting at. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I'm going to jump to the next question for Drew, and we'll start there because I feel that we covered that one pretty decently. Um, what do you feel is the best way for an artist to reach out and try to get signed? How many demos is a good amount? Is email the best way to get in touch? Uh, Drew, I'll let you start this round. I mean, I'm slightly new school, so for me, it's Instagram DMs. Like I have, I have a bunch of artists who hit me up on the DMs and, you know, they'll send me about two or three private links to SoundCloud, which for, to me is a perfect amount, you know, because I know you have a bunch of release stuff, but if you can send two or three unreleased stuff, that kind of helps me understand where you're taking your sound towards and, you know, keep, keep the message short and clean because you send me four paragraphs and I don't think I can read that on my phone. Oh, uh, I... The, here's my link. Here's my YouTube. Here's my SoundCloud. Yeah. Here's the unreleased. Here's my one page. Here's my bio. Here's the, yeah, don't send too much info. I get that a uh, fair yeah. bit. Uh, Caitlin's got the thumb up. Uh, anything to add, Caitlin? Yeah, I, I, I love a DM, but I also love emails. I always try and respond to everybody who writes. Um, uh, and yeah, a link is preferable to actual like waves never send a wave or mp3s um yeah set, send me a link of streamable songs that i can share with other people as well like that's and yeah like short and sweet and something that's like you know you've done you've done a little bit of research something to signal to me that you've done a little bit of research about our company and you, you know you're not like totally out of left field like i've had EDM producers coming to be like, I would make a great fit to Six Shooter Records. And it's like, we're kind of a like, a little bit of like a roots label, like maybe not the best fit. And um, so anyways, yeah, do 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 some research as much as you can. And like Drew said, just short and sweet. Yeah, I agree. Short and sweet is is great. But and also like being cognizant of like, like we spoke about at the beginning of this, like A&R people and label people, they, their, their main priority is dealing with the artists that are already a part of their family. And there's so much work that goes into those artists. Um, so I'd say like to get attention of people at a label it's you can do the emails and, and dms and things like that but being cognizant of you might not ever get a response and like and to get upset about that and then to just hound the person is going to do the complete opposite of what you want to have happen so i think that if you send a message to somebody you don't get a response send another one and follow up when you've done more stuff of like hey i sent you that first message with a couple demos just wanted you to know i just recorded two more i think they're even better than what i sent you before i know you're busy but just wanted to keep you posted on what i'm doing you know you might not get a response on that either but then hey just to let you know i've recorded even more songs i started playing shows i'm just keeping you posted on what i'm doing just feeding you updates like i know you're busy that sort of thing like it's you like demanding a response is usually the number one way you're not going to get any type of a response. Um, and then I'd also say that uh, one thing that I think is, is has more importance than people really think it does is 
going out of your way to attend things like the Juno Awards, the CCMA, um, you know, things like whatever genre you're in, there's a music conference for it. And going there and being present and doing FaceTime, not with, and going out of your way to meet whoever works at a label usually isn't the thing you should be focused on. You should be focused on meeting other artists and artists that are already working with that label. And if one of my artists comes to me saying, hey, do you know about this person? I just met them. They're amazing. Now my artist is telling me I should know you. I'm definitely going to be reaching out. Um, so I think like building your contacts of other artists that are in your genre is is very crucial. And if you know if you if you can't be amongst your own peers of musicians, then you maybe you're not ready to, for a label. You know. Yeah, totally agree. <laughs> I was just gonna add one one more thing about sure. um, like getting my attention. I like I like when people reference other artists. Like you know, instead of sort of trying to describe the sound, it's like. I love, you know, X, Y, and Z artists, and I think I sound like this person or what, you know, like everyone has influences. So it's also a good sign to me that if I can relate to the artist that you've named and I think, oh yeah, they, they've definitely, they know themselves, then I'm like, you, you know, like, yeah, you're not, if you're, if you're sending me like a pop song and you're like, I'm like a Billie Eilish, but you're more of like a, uh, I don't know, like a fiddler or something, you know, it's like two extremes, but yeah. Yeah. yeah re referencing sounds. But yeah, like, I, and, and going back just to the award thing real quick, like there's so many times where, you know, some of my favorite independent artists are people that I didn't hear their music. I met them at a party at the Juno Awards or something. I'm like, oh, you're an amazing person. Like, yeah, I'm definitely going to check out your music because I just loved having a conversation with you. Like, yeah, be a person. Uh, the, I have three points off of what you guys said. Uh, one, uh, this is what I get like, okay, I sent somebody sent me an email, but then they DM me on Instagram. Hey, I sent you an email. Did you get the email? And then yeah. on LinkedIn and then on Facebook. And then like, and then they, the next day they go, here's my email again that I didn't, I'm like, just, we'll, we'll answer. And just, I don't want to answer five times. <laughs> so there's that that one. Um and, and then uh uh lost the last point. Caitlin, what did you just say? <laughs> like recommended if you like sound like sound alikes. Um oh yes. So so the other thing is um uh one thing that I would do in the past when I was managing bands, and you probably know the band I'm gonna talk about that I was managing an industrial goth kind of band a long time ago. 20 years ago. And uh, if I said, sounds like Marilyn Manson, sounds like Nine Inch Nails, it's actually kind of like, uh, now you, you, you kind of exposed your uh, reference point too much. So we would actually try to use three artists that made it sound interesting. Like it sounds like Nine Inch Nails meets U2 meets Smashing Pumpkins, which is like, oh, well, I might want to hear that because that's more unique than Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails and another industrial band. So, so that's when the tactic that we would try to do when I was managing bands is try to get, be creative in, it's like, oh, that might be something interesting. I want to hear that and, and create interest that way. Um, wow, uh, it's, this, this is such a great topic and I could talk more. And uh, I was hoping uh, we'll go around real quick, uh, one minute each. Um, uh, either a horror story, you don't have to mention the artist's name, or a win. And uh, Caitlin, you're up. 
I'll let Ken Drew go first. <laughs> no, no, no. Here, Drew. <laughs> no, no, no. We follow the order, Daryl. Let's keep the order. We kept the order till now. Let's run it. Oh, my God. A horror start. story or what was it? Uh, or a win. A win. Oh, no. Um, okay. Well, at an old job, we had a meeting with... Um, <laughs> We, we had a meeting with an artist who I, I'm like, I guess I can't really name all the names, but um, yeah, Anonymous we had a meeting with an artist who was super indie at the time. She's uh, like electronic music, Canadian. And, um, you know, the meeting went well, but like for whatever reason, missteps internally, like we didn't end up signing her. And then she like, blew up and is like, you know, in the Elon Musk sphere. So that's one one sad, sad thing that we we were like, wow, that was a really big, big miss, big horror story. Um, anyways, that's that's the thing I can think of off the top of my head. Sorry, it happens <laughs> without, Andy. without naming. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I can't, I'm sure I'll think of one as soon as we get off this, I'll think of a perfect story I should have told, but the, like the first thing that comes to my mind of just when you say horror story, since we just spoke about it, uh, like the, the horror story for me is like people hounding down my personal information to send me a demo. Like, so it's like what you said, Daryl, like I sent you an email and then I DM'd you on Facebook or whatever, but then it's, they got a hold of my work cell phone number and then my personal cell phone number somehow. And then a package showed up at my house and like, this is getting way too like, how do you, how did you find my information and stop what you're doing right now? Because it's not making me interested in signing you. It's making me interested in getting a restraining order on you. Like that happens, happens once in a while. Uh, thanks Andy. Uh, Drew. I've had the same thing happen as Andy, but uh, they didn't find my personal number. They actually found my dad's. Which at that point, I'm just like, I'm not, I wasn't even in the country. That's the best part because I was in Canada and they found my dad's number in India. So, I mean, it takes a cake for sure. They, did they call? They WhatsApped him and my dad forwarded me the message and I was just laughing in my bedroom. <laughs> I was just like, at this point, I can't do much. I'm just laughing. Wow. I'll, I'll share one, but it's from the artist's point of view. I was actually tour managing and uh, we were doing shows across Canada, uh, promoting a single that's on the radio and a release that's coming in a few weeks, hitting all the radio stations and playing shows with likes of Three Days Grace, Theory of a Dead Man, The Trues, like Stampede, the festivals. And the A&R rep showed up in Vancouver and we're like, what's Lenny doing here? And after the show, he literally said, well, there's no more money in rock. So uh, we may release your album next year. And we'd just done radio promotion across Canada and uh, they shelved it. And uh, I was expecting to be a tour manager on the road with them for about four years. And uh, basically it was done by the time we got back. Uh, and uh, that label next year said, maybe next year and, and uh, during that year, Daniel Anwar, like one of the, you know, U2's producer had, he liked the band so much that they were his band on his album. And then the next year the label went bankrupt. And so two and a half years of waiting around for nothing. So that was a horror story from the artist side of things. And uh, that's the kind of stuff that can happen too, you know? So 
Um, Is there time for a, a positive note? Sure. Okay. Let's do it. Um, there was an artist I was working with, um, a rapper uh, in the States, his name's Damon, who resigned to this, um, to a publishing deal. And I was doing a lot of uh, work with him and for sync, like writing for sync. So I would send him briefs and he would, you know, come back with songs. And I was um, working on him, working with him on a couple of songs that were, I thought, super great, like real hits, real bangers. And um, they, they didn't go anywhere at the time, but like in the last couple, like this was like seven years ago, he's been getting like a ton of licenses, like Adidas ads and like movies. And like, I wanted to say, I guess like it takes time sometimes with ANR, like it's really like about a long game. And, you know, just because something doesn't fly right away, doesn't mean that it won't down the line. Um, Maybe it was a good thing the label went bankrupt and the band didn't have to be signed to the label while they were going under. <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah, they got signed to Warner, I think, after that. But uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think the long game is an important one, and and for creators, I always recommend just keep creating. Like your catalog is, you know, big part of your value and what gives ammunition for what labels can do for you. Yeah. Um, I got to say, like, what a great conversation. We're already a little over, so we got to do a quick wrap. Uh, thank you guys so much. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to share your stories and share this insight. Uh, our next one uh, with Red Bull, uh, talking about uh, their gaming hub uh, for esports. So uh, gaming and music, another big intersection. So hope to see you there. Thank you, everybody. Uh, thanks again for your time. Thanks Thank a lot. you. All right, so that does it for this week's show. Heads up that our next conference, Indie 101, is coming up in early May. And right now, there's only one week left to save $40 on tickets with our super early bird special. So go to Indie101.com to pick up your uh, Indie 101 super early bird tickets and save $40. And of course, we've still recently launched the DIT online music community. Uh, it's fantastic. It's the best place to go meet other musicians, like-minded professional musicians who are serious about their careers, as well as folks in all facets of the music industry, and also get exclusive career-boosting educational lessons and advice and um, be able to interact and ask questions and form your own community. Um, so yeah, go join DIT. It's free. Uh, go to DITcommunity.com right now to join. And before I let you go, just one final shout out and thank you to our sponsors and funders. That is Slate Music, CD Baby, CMRRA, uh, Lyric Fine, Banzoogle, SEMA, The City of Toronto, Global Affairs Canada, Ontario Creates, Factor, Seneca College, and the SOCAN Foundation. And we also acknowledge that this project is funded in part by the Government of Canada. Without their support, we couldn't do what we do to serve the music community. So big thank you to all those companies, organizations, and government bodies. All right. That does it for this week. We'll see you back here next Thursday.